0: The Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world, the shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now, to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time the time for you to own your intuitive is now hey everybody i am so excited i have a super special guest Here with me today. We got to hang out for an hour not that long ago, and it was instant kismet. Like we are just soul brother and sister from some other cosmic space, and we are going to go deep into all my favorite conversations today. And you guys are gonna walk away feeling completely enlightened and lifted, and as if there is like a whole other opportunity that this world has opened to you. Today I have Neil Falora, who is also known as the Brain Warrior Come on
1: how cool is that name let's be real
0: (laughs) neil i am so excited that you are here
1: today thank you so much for coming on the show thank you tamara i'm so excited to be here i loved our conversation before so i can't wait to what we're going to dig in today
0: all right so i like to start off with just like a little heads up for people listening who are you and what do you do
1: on this earth right now what's your stardust Sure. Absolutely. So as you correctly said, I am the brain warrior. I'm a mindset and brain fitness coach. I help people basically get out of overwhelm, which is the umbrella of stress, anxiety, and isolation, crush limiting beliefs, and get to their next level of impact. So
0: this is going to be a super fun conversation <laughs> And we've got a million questions about what you just said. But before we get too juicily into all of those details and that umbrella of over one that you talked about, can we go back in history a little bit? Can you talk about your origin
1: story? Where did Neil begin, his lifespan? Sure, absolutely. So um, it's interesting. My dad, it's noteworthy to say, even go back a little further, my dad came from the base of the Himalayas from literally a dirt floor farm. He grew up in poverty, um, a hole in the ground for a bathroom. Uh, So in his caste system, nobody like him would ever amount to anything, quite honestly. And so his father was a farmer with a ninth grade education. His mother died in adolescence. And so my dad's uh, transition from that into this dream where he would go to veterinary school was just astronomical. And the village kids said, look, you're nobody. You have no money. You have no status And so he borrowed a pair of dress pants, three sizes too big, and his story goes a gold medal in every year of that school for being the number one student. He blasts out of there and leaves his homeland with no understanding of America, his dad not to guide him one bit, uh, and comes here with a suitcase, $151, and gets a PhD and a postdoc in genetics. So to say that I come from this ancestral sort of vibrational line of mavericks, of people that Do explosive things and have explosive ways of thinking. Um, That's putting it mildly. So, growing up, my dad and I, we didn't bond over football and sports. He gave me ideas. He would read me quotes out of Reader's Digest or ask me to think about really unique perspectives. And we'd go on walks and he would discuss these things with me. And I remember as a kid getting this high, this sense of expansion as my dad would talk to me. And I would, as 9, 10, 11, start retorting and giving. Him ideas and you go yes yes and we build off of each other, Um, combine that with an upbringing because because less much be functionally fixated meaning just because something is going wrong or just because this one thing serves a purpose it can serve many other purposes and you can use that in your life. So being someone who has a command over thoughts, language, and um, problem solving is sort of my hallmark um, from growing up. Um,
0: wow. That's an incredible story. Your dad is like, I can understand where warrior comes from when I hear that story or story, right? Like no odds are too big for me to, to kind of, no challenge or anything is too big for me to conquer. That's it. I'm like, taken like away, words are away from me On how amazing that is. So were you born then in the, States,
1: born, in the States? I was born in the States. My, my dad came here in the early sixties. My mom came later in the later sixties. I was born and raised here in, in, in Indiana where I live in a small town at Anderson where my dad was a professor for 32 years. And, and uh, yeah, so I had a very quote unquote Midwest upbringing, but with the duality of Eastern culture, uh, you know, When when there we were probably the only sort of diverse family like that in a town of sixty or seventy thousand people.
0: So, So, what does your mom do? If you don't mind me asking,
1: did you have brothers and sisters? Was there like? So I have one brother who's uh, a little younger than me. He is a lawyer by trade and owns a mortgage brokerage firm in Northern Indiana. And my mom is a was still is still rather a mental health clinician. So she worked in areas of uh, mental health the psych wards and so forth and ran small groups and that sort of thing so.
0: so that's a little bit of brain too right like there's a lot of brain conversation that goes on in that as well yes
1: yes my pa- I'm a I'm amalgam of my parents my dad is sort of very much more Vulcan my mom is very much emotion and I'm somewhere in the middle
0: <laughs> so. and so like you said touched on something and I'm just super curious about it because again, this is a big conversation and I don't know why I'm going into it, but we're going there like Mm -hmm. from a space. I know I'm like from the space of like white privilege, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. You're talking about being a family that, you know, wasn't culturally like diverse, like where you were right on some level. And were you guys like one of the only families that weren't Caucasian in your, in your town? And what was that like growing up? It was very,
1: it was very different. Um, I can't say that I um, always noticed it per se, but I do think subconsciously it was always running there because my dad wore a turban, right? He taught it at Christian university. He was the only guy to wear a turban on that campus, right? That was a big deal in a church of God campus that he, but he was the hardest teacher on campus. He was the most reputable teacher on campus. He, on top of it to make a, to to be frank, to make a circus out of it. My dad had this big seven fifty Honda that he would ride in every day with his three piece suit and his, and his turban and his, his backpack strapped to the back, right? So uh, riding on the back of that thing, it was like I was a, we were in a damn parade. I felt like I should throw candy because the way that everybody would look. And this is in a small town in the Midwest. And so, you know, what I would say is is that it... Um, I, 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 would, I wouldn't say I didn't ever come up against anything racial in my upbringing, but it wasn't a lot. I, but I do think that there were a lot of things that looking back on high school and other things that people probably had moments of pause and other things in their mind because they were used to primarily you know, a, a white audience, right? And how do, you, how do you deal with, how do you date, how do you be in a relationship with? Uh, and the other thing it added for me um, is this, so my dad is sort of this cultural um, idea nomad you know and it added to the story of that that I kind of fit in everywhere but nowhere right and so that's sort of been a legacy story for me and so because I didn't grow up to a judeo christian i didn't grow up with a lot of the norms that people would do oh we go down to vacation in florida and my parents had no idea of any of many of these cultural sort of ways of thinking these tribalisms that are just osmost, right vibrationally so we didn't do a lot of the those things naturally because they didn't really know about them so it displaced me for a long period of time uh i was already displaced sort of in the way in which i thought and i remember even in second grade having that feeling uh, there was one pivotal event and so that sort of added to all of that
0: And what, did your mom come over with your dad later? Like, but they met in, what did you say, Honduras? Sorry. I want to. India. India. So they, they met in India and then your, your mom came later. So they literally immigrated together on some level.
1: Yes. And their marriage was arranged. I mean, my mom had say so, but, but you know, one family said, Hey, we know this guy who's in America. And so they got to meet a few times and then they were, they were wed. And I'll just say this for for this, uh, having seen both sides of the equation in Indian couples and people who say I have to choose my soulmate, I am thoroughly not convinced that work one works better than the other. It might. I understand. I wouldn't want that for me to be arranged, but it's just what you're used to. But I I'm not convinced. <laughs>
0: You know what, I think there is a certain level of work and involved in either direction, right? Like there is a level of getting to know each other and experiencing each other and giving each other your own like space to become and then co-creating in this familial way, right?
1: Yes, yes, beautiful. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, the the range way sort of puts the precipice on the work instead of all the romantic notions that as soon as those fail, most people are, are then left drifting untethered about what to do next, right? But when in, a, in an arranged set, which I'm not saying is perfect every time, um, there is some more emphasis on having to do the work to bring the relationship together sort of at the inception rather than letting all the romantic notions carry you through to a place where... Sometimes people usually fall short on what to do next.
0: A hundred percent. Like I'm with you on this one. I don't think that either or is right or wrong because I think that there's a level of investment from the humans involved in the relationship that is totally the key to making any relationship work, right? Yes. Yes. Um, So I have like another question because this is we both work with like on some level, you're doing the the brain and vibration and I'm talking about energy. But do you think because your dad was such a strong proponent of acceptance for himself that it was just an automatic vibration that people were more open to the acceptance of, of him and your family because he truly believed anything was possible? he had to have believed that anything was possible and in that space you know i don't know if you know racism even exists when we are so grounded and sure in our beings and our bodies and what we're here to do that we're seen in such a different way
1: mhm mhm that's a really interesting viewpoint something i really didn't i haven't put maybe a lot of real estate mental real estate into what i can say though is is that yes my dad was a maverick and he thought Many things were possible, things that we even did at home, how we, we built our whole hi-fi system from every soldering, every mylar and diode. He knew nothing about those things, but we just <laughs> did them, you know. Um, I have story after story of doing things like that, but I would say in the same sense, in the same sense, you know, um, it's it's not, a, it's not a conversation that has neat um, zero percentages behind it, that it's 100% this or 100% that. I would say that I would say that while I saw him, while I saw him really excel in some of those areas, like anyone, I think there were other areas of his life where, you know, continue to be like this, where he um, had other conversations because he came from a place where there was from nothing. Right. And, and there was not, there was not this sense of plentifulness all around him all the time. And, and some of those vibrations, they get ingrained in you and not, to his detriment or any slander it's just you know um you can you can have areas in your life where you blow up and you can be the maverick and you have those areas where you still have to keep peeling the onions away because you know that's part of the reason why we're here is to do the hard work right to keep expanding so
0: well on some level he totally broke an ancestral and lineage chain a generational Chain that have been going on, right? So that truly is the maverick, right? To say like (laughs) this
1: is where it ends. And I've I've thanked my dad more than once, and and I I owe him a debt of gratitude. I'm like, if he had not been the Saturn V rocket with that much propulsion (laughs) behind him, right, to freaking literally blast out of it, because you know this, you've had your own your own life challenges. If you don't have, if you don't can't find the propulsion. We just find ourselves in this cycle, right, um, and, and, uh, of this Groundhog's Day. Uh, you see it in every form, in the workplace, in relationships, wherever else, people just keep cycling through the same things. And so, yes, I, I've said to him, and I will say it here publicly again I'm very thankful for who my dad was because I would not have the opportunities I have if it weren't for him. So.
0: So this is a huge, like I can see how your parents were affecting and effecting like your your childhood and growing up and like what your thoughts and what your like, um, I don't even know what the word I wanted to say, what you were leaning towards and towards of learning. So when you were finishing high school, what did you move into?
1: So finishing high school, high school for my dad was just sort of like, away station it wasn't a big deal to him and it and 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 that was sort of again different in a town where most of their parents worked at gm and guide and made a lot more than my dad did right um doing that um graduating high school was a big thing um uh, for my dad it was like okay yeah sure but now you need to go to college and then to graduate school and then we'll talk right so <laughs> you know um from his come from i mean i can't blame him um mm-hmm and so, so, but, uh, I actually ended up going into medicine. I got accepted early into medical school, so um did that for two or three years two and a half years and then what happened was something that took me about you know ten years to really elucidate something was going on, um, but what I thought was just purely biological in my body, but I couldn 't really understand it. it was distracting and it was causing me worry and concern. But, you know, any of my uh, mentors at the time, my preceptors that I would go talk to who were physicians, when I mentioned it to them, their response was, and I'll leave the expletives out, but it was just like, you know, Hey, go back to your room and study your, your head is full of nonsense. Right. So I ended up taking a leave of absence um, because I really didn't understand what was going on and left the medical profession um, never to return uh, and to, to okay to, I need to, we need to dive into this a little bit more
0: because I'm like <laughs> what were you taking because I know that there's so many different like avenues of medicine that you could have been taking and then what was the discomfort can you describe it for me because I'm like super curious here
1: sure and so um, it wasn't very it, it was elusive it was just um, at the time it presented itself with a large degree of just objectionary thoughts and feeling like um, I was being um, there were there was more than one master in the in the kitchen if you will or in the house right I I couldn't focus I couldn't stick to things I didn't feel grounded Um, I had in my body some diffuse symptoms of lymphadenopathy and fevers and you know just feelings of being uh, overly fatigued sort of in the realm of chronic fatigue syndrome, but not really knowing that what it was, because let's just be fucking honest. I mean, med school is just, med school is not about being the smartest person. When I went there, you know, I had really good grades and I got in, but then I was somewhere in the middle of the pack. Right. And it's more about studying six to eight hours a day. I used to study six to eight hours a day, um, day after day. I remember walking out one day and wondering why it was snowing because I lost a couple months because that's all I did. I mean, I, would sleep at night and recite my notes. And when I would come to a point where I didn't know what it said again, I would wake up, flip to that page of my notes and go back to sleep and keep reciting. I mean, med school is just about taking a fire hydrant of information and consuming it. So um, that's med school.
0: Well, that sounds delightful. My brain is already hurting. So then <laughs> <laughs> you take this leave of absence because of this discomfort that you're in. And where does that lead you?
1: so I went through some serving jobs, which I absolutely loved. That was a great, I found, you know, Hey, I'm really good with people. I'm really good in front of people. I'm good at entertaining. I'm good at reading people because I'm this empath, which I didn't know that at the time. Um, and then, uh, I, I, um, like the sort of maverick my dad is, I applied to, uh, into a company that had both pharma and diagnostics, uh, and nobody was paying attention to me. Uh, I couldn't get anything. Everything is online, of course. Right. So I just put on a suit one day, went to the campus, which has like 18 buildings on it. Right. And I just picked a building and I followed somebody in. Because they beat their badge. And so I just walked in after them. And I went to the receptionist desk and I said, I know that you're not the person that is going to probably be responsible for this. But I said, I'm trying to get a job here. And i need some help and the lady was just like because i was blowing her paradigm of what should be walking in the door um, what that did for me is i got me in touch with the recruiter for the temp agency for the whole campus and that got me a job a research job um, that had like a nine-month stint on that so um uh yeah, and then I went, what I did while I was there is I would walk around all the buildings and I would look at people's doors and anything that I thought was interesting or might be in my background, like molecular biology, I would go in and talk to those people. And I did that enough that they ended up hiring me on. So,
0: oh my God, was, this so is fun. the best story ever, Neil. <laughs> like, oh my God, if that does not inspire somebody who is listening right now, I do not know what will. That was like, I'm like, like who does that? You do that. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't often think about that it, it, as maybe that remarkable until I say it out loud. I'm like, yeah, I guess that is different. <laughs> but that's like totally having a
0: desire, an outcome that you have like already achieved in your brain is occurring, and then doing the steps that's involved in making it happen. Like, straight up. <laughs> like, I'm yes. just like
1: yes 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 and that is what my i think one of the things if i could go back what my dad taught me is the meaning of try most people don't really know what it means to try at all you know um and so yeah when i when i would and as i started going through Roche and getting different jobs and preparing for interviews i mean i read everything i could about the department i read commonly asked questions i made a powerpoint slide that summarized me you know i had I, I mean, I, I learned, I would talk, I would find out who their colleagues were, and I'd go out and have lunch with them so I could find out more about them, what they liked, so I could mention that in the interview. And I mean, I just, I went, I would, I had all these papers of, of good questions to ask in an interview, and I always had questions that I would ask them to let them know that I was serious. I'd ask them really things that they weren't expecting. I'd be like, what's fun about this job? That was my favorite. People would just come to a screeching hall they'd be like, what's fun about this job? It's like, yeah, what's fun about it? And they'd be like, whoa. And all of a sudden, we'd have this really different conversation. But yeah. So, so yeah.
0: Oh, my goodness. This is like, I just am fascinated too about the way that your brain works versus the way that like, I am the, like, you couldn't pay me money to do any of that stuff, Neil. Like, that's just so outside of my, my realm of, like, I just trust that when I go into the room, I'm guided right? Like, that's the level of intention. Like, I know the answer's going to be there. I know that, you know, for me, prep work is, is I never follow anything I do. Like, I just don't follow anything that I ever prepare. I have to ask you this. Are you, an, like, you have to be an extrovert.
1: Hugely, hugely an extrovert. And, and <laughs> by the way, and by the way, I have, I I wouldn't say I have given up all of that style, but I've given up a majority of it now. Now I just, because I know, I've, you know, because I'm also in my own energetic practice, I don't go to the level of preparedness that I used to go to. And I had a boss one time tell me, she goes, Neil, you're 100%. You're, she's like, you're, you're 30 or 40% is most people's 100%. She's like, just get it done and get it out there, you know. <laughs>
0: I can totally relate to that just listening to you I'm like but again like but in our earlier years for those who are listening that are young like we don't have that confidence we don't have that true understanding of connection or trust or all those kinds of things so that preparedness that you were doing really was like ensuring the result that you you wanted like really going after the outcome so like I'm not saying not to do that by any means for those sure, who are listening but like you know what I mean like that was how
1: you catapulted yourself into some really exceptional places it is and I, I mean I have more stories but yes it, it, it is it is how I kind of got into places that quote-unquote um, time after time I may not have belonged but I just decided that I, I wanted to belong so yeah
0: so what were you doing in the research what was the
1: research um, so the research was a, was a short two or three years and um, basically I helped launch one of the first um, genetic assays on the market for cystic fibrosis so I was on a team of three scientists and we some of the development was already done we did a little bit of the development a lot of the I'm sorry most of the research was already done we did a, a little bit of the research but most of the development how to automate it how to mass produce it and it sold like 10 million dollars in its first year And a guy took me out um, in his five series Beamer and cufflinks and Mavada watch. And he didn't know anything about science. In fact, I was almost at that time kind of insulted how little he knew about any of the stuff. Right. And when I got back to my desk, something just dawned upon me. I was like, I can't be a research person. I'm like, I'm too extroverted. And in corporate America, the closer you are to the money, the more you make. And I'm like, I need to leave here. And so in I I had a chance to train another business unit on this on this thing because they were supporting it. They were training customers, and I did all the training. I made all the binders and stuff. And the and the person who um, was over that training department said, "Did you do this all by yourself?" I said, "Yeah." She goes, "You're going to come work for me." I said, "Yes, I will." I said, "Tell me when to apply." And so, and then I left research and became more of a customer sales facing person.
0: And um, how old were you then? Like what? Like what? Uh, age? Twenty?
1: Like thirty, maybe, or something like that. So yeah.
0: So everything you had done up until this point got you to like thirty.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe I was younger than that. No, maybe more like twenty five or something like that. Yeah.
0: Twenty five. Oh yeah. I love your story. Like I'm like I can't stop smiling for those who are not watching on the YouTube. But like I'm just like this is like. So amazing to <laughs> me. So you leave the research and you go into doing kind of like
1: customer relations kind of stuff for this other company. And what was this company for? Same company, just luckily they have many different departments. So this was supporting, um, high, let's call it high value test, high value testing. So expensive customers, customers who are spending money on molecular testing, but I won't bore people with what all that means. It was just a genetic basis to find disease, right? So we brought in big blood centers and other people, and they would come on site, we would train them, we would take them to lunch every day, we would take them out to dinner. Sometimes they would send me out, so I would travel to the actual places where they were doing it. Occasionally we got sent over to our headquarters in either um, Germany or Switzerland to learn the material and then bring it back here and, then, and design training materials. So it was a really good gig. I also came and co- ended up coming in contact and helping sales rep close sales, Um, They even put me in places where there were people who are interested in investing in this 80,000 person company and part of my responsibility was to show investors what it is that we have in our pipeline and so forth. So it was an amazing job, an amazing job. And so it gave me, and then it gave me a platform to do what I'm naturally to do, which is, which is to teach and train and to guide, right? And uh, boastfulness intended that I was, I was killer at that job, you know, uh, getting up and teaching and explaining, so.
0: So I'm just going to ask the most like strange question because I know that for myself and for those listening, right? So you don't, do you not have a part of you that says or feels like, okay, these people are like more important than me or I'm not going to fit in or, you know, any of that sensation? Because it sounds like you could just you're like a chameleon you can go into any room to talk to anyone and just feel completely at par or parallel to them and like totally not be in your head about the discomfort of the ego and like all the self-talk that we have that tends to go on
1: so i had it i had it to a tremendous degree a tremendous degree and even through then learning how to heal my body um in the place when i finally took on my own healing that ramped up exponentially even more um so so but what i think i what i think how i surmounted it is is that once i got into flow and once that the things that i talk about with my clients is is that moving their everyday processes from out of here back down into here right that was out of
0: the head and into the body for those who couldn't see you
1: yeah thank you so so out of out of the head and into and into the heart and that's where that's where all the magic and the flow happens anytime anytime that you're really creating or doing something amazing you're not thinking about it and i think that was what was what propelled me forward is that once i got into a situation and i said it's go time and i let it flow then i could i could let those other thoughts then subside it's not that i didn't have them i trust me i had i had had them i still have some of them and this journey has been all about um, rewiring those kinds of thoughts and the healing has been about subverting like, super, super, those thoughts.
0: So how long did you stay in that department of
1: this facility? So through three or f- two or three years and then I moved to just solely a training position and then I moved into a play another place so then I hit a sort of brick wall um, because I really wanted to be a salesperson and uh I interviewed, I did all the thing kinds of maverick things I was talking about. I sat down in one interview, I sat down with a guy who sets all the pricing for all of Roche Diagnostics, like the guy, like, so he's over, he, he, he's the deciding factor. And he's basically laying into me, yelling at me. He's like, why are you even here? You're just a technical person. You can't, do you know how to do sales? And I start pounding him back pound for pound a week. We and in an inter, our interview turned into almost two hours. And I started look look, this is what I know, and this is what I know, and, and here are the reasons why. And da da and and at the end of it, he said, I just want you to know that the other guy has ten years of experience. You have none. He goes, My vote is gonna be for you. Goes, I have shivers, me. Neil. Because he said, said, 'Cause you stood up to me and you were confident and you knew what you knew. I didn't end up getting the job because the person at the top said nobody who's technical can just jump into a sales role, which was my blessing because the long story short is I got into a place um, for those who, who haven't watched the movie because it's old now, they would call us the men and women in black. It's a Will Smith, Will Smith movie. And what we sold basically was nothing that this company sold. We went out to at the C-suite level and we asked those people what do you need in terms of manufacturing, intellectual property, or some kind of um, strategic vantage? Okay. And then I would go shop for that within an 80,000 person company. And when I found it, I would then make a business case and sell it internally. So it was legal. It was project management. It was marketing. It was very diffuse. I got to do all kinds of things in eight, nine years. I got to do things that I never would have done in 30 years of selling. I learned so many things. Um and so it was it was a it was an awesome job, but it was just it was time to leave and it was time to heal myself. So I said I just can't I can't do it anymore. So Okay, trying- now
0: this is where we're gonna get into the healing journey. I can feel it. So yeah. how yeah. old were you when you were leaving left and how did you know something was wrong? Like how did you know that you needed healing?
1: So I knew that I needed healing because um I was just in a chronic fatigue situation, and my thoughts about my safety and my body, and they were, they were always strung out in a way that was not, was not working for me at all, you know? I was constantly thinking and feeling and worrying about my health situation, you know? Um, I started to begin to get all these tests, and for those people that can't see me, I mean, I had this huge couple four-inch ring binders of all these medical tests, none of which said, really anything was wrong. There were some of these diagnoses like Candida or this or that or the other, but, you know, it, was, it wasn't anything that was really concrete. And so I went through a series of functional physicians, guys that uh, – there was a guy from New Zealand that was a gut expert that I, that I Skyped with. And I have tried so many home remedies and, and supplements and so forth until I finally one day – Got so fed up with doing this and I wasn't sleeping anyway. I just happened on one of these stupid z- uh, cure zones. So, um, no, no, no. My, um, my gut doctor said, look, you're a smart guy. He goes, I'm a, he's like, people like you sometimes never heal because your brain keeps looking for the next answer and keeps trying to develop the next story. Our brain is our natural storyteller. And when you give it something, it's going to complete it, Right. And brain is negatively biased as well for all of us, and so he's like, I had this guy do something to retrain his brain, and I couldn't believe the, the kinds of um, healing and and how he shifted his life. So I started researching everything I could because I wasn't sleeping anything on brain healing, and I found what I I felt like. You know, in Dorothy, when she steps into that in the Oz, when she steps into that place where this huge field of flowers, right, it's magical. um, I felt like I discovered someplace like that because it was so outside the scope. And given where I had come from in medicine to where I was looking at now, is laughable because that old me would have made fun of the new me, like, "What is this bullshit that you're doing? You know, you're gonna rewire your brain by thinking different thoughts and having different emotions." that's, that's not science, that's voodoo. And I saw it, I knew, I knew that that was, I knew it, I knew that this was for me, I knew this was the answer. And I just started reading everything I can to get my hands on it.
0: So I have a question, because you mentioned the chronic fatigue syndrome, did you suffer through that whole time from the time you left medical school to the time you left the job? Or did it fluctuate in and out?
1: fluctuated a lot in and out there were good periods and there were bad periods there were good periods and there were bad periods i got to a place um you know and sometimes my wife even says that part of the reason to meet her was that would allow was allowing me to heal and time to heal because at that point i was in in the last five years maybe it's more six six and a half seven now um i was sleeping three to five hours a day uh i had what they call in medicine positive review of symptoms you name a symptom i had it i mean just hundreds of symptoms um i had brain fog so thick that when i left my block and got to the end of it there were times where i couldn't remember why where i was going or why i was there so i had to turn home turn back home i thought i was getting early stage dementia or something you know it was just like um unbelievable so i so i uh started with this methodology and, um, I'm still, still working on it, still, my journey's still unfolding, but I'm 200% better than I ever was.
0: So when you began your research, where did you begin? How did you even know to even where to start when you started thinking about thinking, feeling the,
1: <laughs> well, um, if I could bring my wife in here, um, God loved her. She's my biggest advocate. So she says this and I use it to remind myself, but she says, I'm the most wickedly intuitive person that she's ever met. So when I start, this is how I solve problems. I just decide that it's solved. And then I start working it backwards to where what the pieces need to fit. So I just start like research is my thing. Like if I need to research something, I just research in really unique ways. And I just started searching things like my, my brain cured this, uh, my thoughts cured this, da 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 and I just started finding these things that were supporting that, you know. And there are many people who do this now. Uh, Dis- Joe Dispenza, Gupta, Annie Hopper, Chris Harden. There are many, many people who have, have picked up on all these modalities and are known for this now. So, uh,
0: But they weren't there when you started all this. You were researching into something much more unknown back then.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 think, I think they all, some of them, some of all of them have their starts, you know, uh, when I first started researching, but they become much, quote unquote, more mainstream. I mean, majority of people still have no, have never heard of these things or have no understanding, because it just doesn't fit in the paradigm of, of the sickness system that we have in our country, right? It doesn't fit into that neat paradigm of, of you just do whatever, and then when you're sick, you get a pill or a procedure, Uh, you know, uh, brain being the center of health and evolution of health is just, that's, that's not what we think about.
0: Oh, so many questions. So you decide to, (laughs) I'm like so excited because I love all this stuff. So you decide that like, you know, you start researching and so where did you start in terms of healing your own body? What was the first, if you had all of those symptoms and you're like, where do you, where, like, it's like walking into a hoarder's house and going like, what is the first thing
1: that I clear? Where did you start? Yeah. And so I have learned a tremendous amount along the way. Um, when you get introduced in some of these different symptoms, you think, okay, and your brain thinks I'm going to rewire my brain so I can get rid of X, right? And so like, like your brain is somehow in these neat Tupperware containers and Here's where the sickness is, and here's where the good thoughts are, and here over here is another container of uh, something else. But it just doesn't work that way. And to boil the message down, I was 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 just trying to get some sense of normalcy in my life, you know, to quiet my brain, to quiet my body. What I discovered is is that this process of of remapping your brain can bring so much else into your life calmness security um a sense of a joy all those things and and it is like all the rest of life so unlinear so nonlinear. there were times when i would rewire and something would i'd find some symptom was going away and then the limit brain which is a two to three year old child and when it gets into overwhelm, it does exactly what my four, now four-year-old kids would do. It starts throwing weird, unassociated crap at you. Oh, and people, like, everybody's experiences, anybody who's gone on a severe diet has, has had this happen. About a week or two into the diet, your arm starts hurting your nose starts running you start getting weird headaches you might get a tremor and a muscle you got all kinds of head trash going on saying you don't need to do this all of that—it's that magnified in the brain rewiring process right because your brain has a neurochemical set point it's called the pcm it's going to do everything it can to keep those loops those old pathways in your brain um, whether they are useful to you or not at the same neurochemical set point it has resistance to change so it's your job then to think and feel greater than you are every day along with doing the work of the rewiring and it is um, not the road for the faint of heart <laughs> I'm gonna, can, I, can I just say that I stopped eating sugar, like
0: six days ago, you know, six days ago, and I've done it before. And it's like, I get like, I, and my pattern is the addiction behavior, but it's not always like it was alcohol. I got rid of alcohol. Then it was coffee. I got rid of coffee. And so like I, I cycle in and out of sugar, right? Because it's like, okay. I'm all in, or I'm all out. There's True. no in Im- between. So I want to ask a question about this for anyone. Cause you said about the diets, right? Like the, I'm six days in the, I can't even begin to tell you what's happening to my body. It's terrible. It's terrible, like bloated, inflammation, the, like, I call them the gremlins in the brain. They're telling me, like, I always explain when I give up sugar, the food talks to me. Like, it literally talks yes. to me. Like, it sounds yes. funny, but it's like, I can walk down the aisle and it's like, you want me, <laughs> pick yes. me up, eat me. And you're like, what? Yes. It tells, it's like, my brain is telling me all sorts of terrible things. Can you dissect this with me?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and actually, I, I had a, a TV spot uh, not too long ago on, a, on some local TV talking ex- just uh, exactly about this, about weight loss from a brain's perspective. But what you have to think about is is that what, we, what most of us don't really see is that the body is the unconscious mind. So the subconscious, which is the, your old brain, which sits in the back of your head here, the cerebellum, 98% of how you're going to react in any situation is already hardwired into your old brain so we've lived this life of that we think we're at free will sorry to burst your bubbles out there but we're really not and so the body listens to what the brain says so the body is feeling and so this is how sometimes people get into these reactions where they eat a little bit of something or they hear a certain voice or certain stress and their body instantly reacts because there are levels of sub of the subconscious within the body rewired as well and so that's what we experience as we go through these changes, and all of a sudden, your body neurochemically, cells on your receptors, the way your body processes things, they're all geared towards how you used to eat, drink, and behave. And if all of a sudden you, you take it away from it, and I'm tapping my arm like an addict right here, right, it's saying, hey, screw you, give me my hit of my stuff, and if you don't, I'm going to throw a tantrum until you do. Physically, mentally. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. It's super fun. I'm, I'm highly um, aware of my body. Not a lot of people are aware. Like nobody, like I can walk into a doctor's and, and say like, I have this. And they're like, you don't know that. And I'm always like, yes, I do. <laughs> they're like, no, you don't. And I'm like, just test me. Whether it's parasites, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, I can say, I know exactly what I'm having. And they're like, that's yes. weird. But yes. like from my level, but what do you say to people who don't know and who are, are not aware right? And they're coming to you. And, and, you know, that's, I think, for those listening, they're like, shit, I don't, I don't read energy. I don't know my
1: body. Like, what, what do I do here? Right. So, so, so a couple tips that I give people is, one is that you have to be the person you want ahead of the change. So, so start living now like that, that person that's already thin, that's already got the accolades, that's already feeling the sense of accomplishment, that's already getting, um, attention from other people that saying, wow, you look great. What have you been doing? Um, that's one, one thing that I kind of suggest to people. The other thing that I open people up to is, and this is a bigger topic, is that we graduate from adolescence through adulthood by emotional constipation. Yeah. All the things that serve us as infinite beings, as beings of possibility in childhood and so forth, imagination, play, and emotions, most importantly, um, yet completely constipated in the adult paradigm. So adults have no understanding of how to use emotion, and that emotion is the currency of the of the brain and the body. So I put people through exercises or give them a few exercises to say, "Look, this is what emotions really look like." And if you want to, uh, if you want true change to happen, because think about how emotional food is. Food is a very emotional thing. Seventy percent of the neuropeptides that's secreted in your body is secreted where? In your gut, not in your brain, right? And so that's the factor they don't take them is that doing a visualization every day using euphoric, elevated emotions about anything, it doesn't have to be about dieting, but anytime you feel triggered about, about being in the dieting process, that you immediately reassociate it with a positive emotional experience that you give your brain.
0: Okay, I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate because it's my favorite thing to do. But, Neil, what if I don't know how to visualize? Because we've heard this. I don't know how to create the vision. I don't know how to, like, I don't, I I was not born that way.
1: Right. And what I would say to you is that most people suck at visualization. And that's, (laughs) and and, and only because they've forgotten their five-year-old self. And only because they don't, they don't, um, they're, they're they're self-limited and they don't know how to dive into the emotion but once you can open up the emotional lid for people then then they get it so one of the things that I do as one of the things that I do is that um, I find I ask them for any experience that was really really overwhelmingly positive like the birth of their child or their wedding day or whatever else and I have them give the details and then I tell it for them I tell them for them as they are, you know, and I put a lot of emotion into it because you can, because there are mirror neurons that can actually mirror. This is why movies are so popular for everybody, because you can experience everything that that person experienced. If you see somebody laughing, it makes you laugh. If you see somebody in pain, you start to feel pain in your body. So I give them a mirrored experience about what that emotion looks like. And then they're like, oh, that's what emotion is. That's what
0: incredible. So I'm going to ask a question because I want to know the answer to this one. So I think that emotional currency is extremely important. And I think that people live very neutrally, they don't allow themselves any high highs and low lows. And I think that opening up to because sadness is just as powerful, really, as elation, right? So,
1: (laughs) you know, what is your take on that? So what I would say is that if you're looking to rewire um, a behavior or a process um, because of the kinds, because what's secreted out of your, your emotional brain, your limbic brain, the dose chemistry, the dopamine, the oxytocin, the serotonin, the epinephrine, those are really important to um, rewire and get rid of quote-unquote negative pathways, but and and the goal of rewiring is not to rewire yourself to happy school teacher that you don't feel anything but butterflies and rainbow hubcaps. The goal of this ultimately is that you are this blank slate that has this catch and release program that you can take any emotion, experience it fully, and then release it back, release the energy away. So it's catch and release, right? But in the early stages when people are really in overwhelm or they're in too stress, so forth, um, feeling I don't want feeling the sadness or focusing on those things just puts them more into overwhelm because they haven't been able to shift out of that. Once they shift out of that, then we can start working on core beliefs. And sometimes that means that you really need to dig into the muck of sadness or other things that are there.
0: So that's a very good question because that was what I wanted to go to next because, you know, having been through depression and lived around mental illness and mental health my whole entire life, oftentimes even with clients that I've worked with or people that I know, they say like, I'm afraid, I'm afraid to like open that gate because it'll be too much for me. I won't be able to bear that discomfort or that emotion. I'll drown. It's like a dam on flooding. What do you, like, can you guide us through that? Sure, so what I
1: would say is that why, it's so, why it's so challenging is because when we come to this earth and we're born, um, and this is getting a little bit out into the woo-woo, but I don't care, <laughs> our brains go one way, our bodies go one way, and our spirit goes another way. And then we set up this framework of how to deal with um, this external world by making all of our abilities on how to manage this external environment. Our, we leave our bodies, basically. We, we're not with our bodies. And, and then what we learn over time is not, we don't teach and tribally teach, which is one thing that I'm very adamant on my kids, how to experience and move through emotions. We just teach that you leave your body into your phone, into your TV, into uh, alcohol, into drugs, right? And so that's where it becomes so scary for people because they don't know how to, they don't know how to be present and, when, you're, and when, you're, when you leave your body, your body does more crazy and freaked out things because it's like, where are you? But getting people in touch with that, and then also one of the things I do is I lead people through some negative emotions, but I keep asking them, where in the body do they feel it? And to squeeze on that area, to get present with that area, to be okay with that sensation, right? And to let that sensation then lead you and let that sensation be there so it can wire new circuits so that it can travel and not be trapped so
0: man i could just talk to you all day um so (laughs) well because i think that this is the answer right like a lot of people don't seem to understand like and i I love that you talked about in in the body and out of the body right because i i truly believe chaos lives out of the body Right. Like when we're on the hamster wheel and we can't just figure out At the end of the day, it feels like nothing's getting done. Like no answers are being. And then like if we come in our bottom body. That's where all solutions reside and so there's a level right where you know you are saying and, and this could be right off the like you could be. No, that's not what i'm saying that is like coming into the body and looking at your emotions is far different than being out of your body and trying to look at your emotions because on if you're outside that's going to feel like drowning but if you can come in and actually be in a conversation with the emotion then you have a, an opportunity to resolve it.
1: Absolutely. hundred percent.
0: I love this. I love this. So what is it? Cause I know that you just said that you worked on the umbrella of overwhelm and stress and like anxiety. What made you go into that particular
1: like level of rewiring? Well, um, for myself or, for, or for what I do for clients, all the above, all the above. So, I don't think that I don't think that it was necessarily my goal when I was rewiring that that's where I wanted to go. It's just the fact that I recognize that ninety five percent of my problems are really coming from a, a, um the emotional brain being in overwhelm, and whenever I don't manage my own energetic body, my own emotions, when I'm not the sherpa of my Thoughts and feelings, right? When I'm leaving the front door open and just letting any old thing, any old thought and feeling come in and out, I go into overwhelm and I get stressed out. And what I also notice is that the more that, the more that, and we can show these. Now, there's so many, there's so much science that we haven't even touched on. We can show all these things by science. Now, you can take um, CT images uh, of the brain and you can show that people who are in stress out situations, their emotional center has grown and their thinking center has shrunk. And we can show their verses true when when people meditate. So that was just a virtue of by, if I'm going to get myself out of here, I got to focus on these things. But then I started, when I started to think about how can I serve people and how can I speak their language? You know, it became really apparent that this, that as a society through social media and many other things, our level of anxiety and isolation has dramatically increased. Right, And I'm not a, I'm not a the world's going into hell, hell in a handbasket kind of guy. Actually, I do believe the world's actually getting much better. And there are many things to say that. But this part is out of control for a lot of people. And overwhelm is something that people readily identify with. And once they come to me and start talking to me about this, and then I can break open more of the topics that really are the source of the overwhelm
0: this is my, my perception of what you're saying, like you are breaking the fight or, and flight, fight or flight cycle in people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, there, and what's even more chilling. I have a somatics book and, and you were talking about how do people get out of this. The, the challenges is that people need, and, and, and I, I'm even looking to work with somebody myself because I'm always peeling another layer of the onion, is how we release this out of our body. And what happens in fight or flight for a lot of people, when you're chronically in fight and flight, you go into a place that's actually in the middle called the dark vice and you're doing, you're not, you're kind of doing both or neither. Um, Like when a, you know, when a, when a gazelle in the wild is scared of a lion running after it, when it gets done running at the end of that, it will, it will tremor and it tremors and it shakes to somatically release and dispel the stress out of our body. For most of us, we are really, really in that state all the time, but there's no somatic release of the stress in our body we don't shake or quiver or anything like that our bodies have forgotten how to do that um and so that i'm, I'm not saying i'm the expert to, to lead that through that but that's one of the ways in which you can help release this this stress out of your body is to actually um go, get with a somatics person who can help you uh, the like body That not like eft to you? eft
0: is a form of doing that wouldn't that be like another way to release stress out of the yes. body
1: yeah like like tapping like you know those sorts of things yes
0: So cool. Neil, I freaking love talking to you. I just can't say that enough. Like, I'm like, this has been amazing. So now people are like, I love Neil. Flora, I need to know more about being a brain warrior. I want to rewire my brain. I want to get healthy. I want to break these cycles. Where would they go to like find you so that they could work with you and and, like get more information about
1: this? Absolutely. So they can go to my website, which is just www.thebrainwarrior.com. Or they can send me an email, my first name, N-E-A-L, at thebrainwarrior.com. Or on Instagram at the same, at the same label, at thebrainwarrior.com.
0: This has been, I could, like I said, this is like, I feel like I've been plugged in to, like, energy, too. So, I'm like, I, oh. I'm like, if anyone's watching YouTube, they'll have noticed that I keep glowing as we keep talking. Um, but I love to ask this one last question because it's just for me really because I'm a book nerd but like if you could and you're only allowed to pick one but if you could pick one book that had a pivotal like experience like made a difference in your life more than any other book first thought the right thought like whatever comes up what was a book that you could tell me right now that was like a game changer for you yeah yes so um, one that
1: comes to mind is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle
0: It's such a good book. Such a good book. uh, Can I share why I think that that's a good book? Because I just can't help it please. The reason I I say that is because I often, and uh, you can tell this from a brain perspective, but I often tell people that if we let our worst case scenarios rule us, right? Like there's a level in which we we create a fantasy that we're going to live on the streets. And most of us are not the type of people that would ever let ourselves get to that place. We would fight, we would resist, we would get in our job, we would do things, right? Like we would never end up there, but yet we have this fear that, if like that is where we're going to end up, like in a box on the river, like with homeless, with all of these things. Yeah. And then I say, but then I use a Tolle as an example. I said, here's a man who in, in fact did find himself homeless sitting on a bench in a park and yet he didn't even stay there as well there there can be beauty in our worst case scenarios and like get so comfortable with your worst case you take the worst case scenario by the scruff of its neck and you say like i see you because so long as you see it it cannot rule you and create an outcome that you do not want
1: ah and what you said there was so beautiful so magical i i Love this time because it's given me such a platform to discuss what I'm passionate about, but to exchange ideas with you and, and that, that, I see you. And for me at the end of the day, Tamara, I think that's all there is, is that's how I've connected to people. Is just to physically tell them, I see you. When you have an emotion to say, I see you, when you have something that's disparaging, instead of escaping from it, let it sit in a chair, hold his hand and say, I see you. That's it. That's it. I think
0: that that, like, that is it. And I think that that's how we need to end today's podcast because I'm like, that's the mic drop moment right there. So thank you, Neil. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your information and everything with us today. I'm just so grateful, as are the listeners I know. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Tamara. Awesome. Awesome. I love it.
0: Great. And everybody tune in next week. These are getting, I'm getting better at this game and these interviews are getting better and better every week. So keep listening. Only more exciting things are coming. If you've been listening to the Own Your Intuitive podcast and you know you are ready to step into your stardust and to shine your light out into this world. But you don't know what your stardust is and you don't know how to bust through your blocks, I would love to jump on a call to find out if the Chakra Business Academy is the perfect place for you to grow into your light worker self, to step into this world as a spiritual entrepreneur, making a difference and making an impact. If you're interested, you can go to TamaraArnold.ca slash application, and we'll be on a call in no time, and you'll be taking steps into stepping into your stardust and making an impact in the world with the exact purpose that you were put on this earth to do.